Hello and welcome to the Flex. This is Matt St. Jean alongside Joe Howie. The end of the regular season is here. Uh, I came, I came very quickly there, Joe, and uh, came all too swiftly for the Friars, who kind of seemed unprepared for the way things finished out there. Yeah, I was unfortunately at the game on Saturday. Uh, sacrificed a little bit of Saturday morning sleep to get up to Rhode Island from New York, and man, I wish I'd, I had those couple of hours back because that was, uh, you know, I, the sleep that I lost, the Friars, uh, you know, they had on the court because it was not a good game. Just really yeah. not a lot to say other than it was bad. Yeah. Uh, there's a team uh, now 13 and seven in Big East play 21 wins on the season, fifth place in the Big East. I think all of that is stuff we would have been okay with if you told me at the beginning of the year this oh, is how the team's going to finish. I think we would have all been okay with it. But there's more than meets the eye with uh, that record and the way this team has played. We're going to get into it. Two losses here to finish the regular season, both at home, Xavier and Seton Hall. Setting up a big day Thursday afternoon with UConn at MSG. We're gonna talk it all, talk about it all right here. Before we get into it, though, as always, a couple of reminders for you guys. First, we've teamed up with SeatGeek this season to get you the best deals for tickets to your favorite teams. That includes the teams at uh, Madison Square Garden. If you're looking to get some tickets, get your Big East Big East tournament tickets right now. SeatGeek takes the confusion out of buying those tickets, and they're here to give you some great deals. Get in on the fun and head over to SeatGeek, download their app, and use code NCAA Hoops Digest for $20 off your first purchase. You haven't seen the Friars yet this season, you want to get in a game, use that code. Go see them this Thursday. This is, you never know, could be your last chance to do it. So do it right now. Don't, don't sit around. Do it now while you still can. <laughs> And as always, this podcast is presented by House Enterprise and in partnership with House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com, for more info. Joe, I don't even know where we want to start with what we've seen in the Amica Mutual Pavilion over the past week. Do you want to go in chronological order and start with that Xavier game, or do we just talk about the Seton Hall one? We can. I think we can touch on the Xavier game. I think I'll start in the hours leading up to the Xavier game. I'd like to sincerely thank the national media for posting that graphic of all the teams that Providence had beaten at home before the Xavier game because, um, unfortunately for us, the that ended with Villanova because that was the last team that we beat in that building. But, yeah, we can, we can start with the, the Xavier game in all seriousness. Um, that one, I mean, go down, what, 24 in the first half, you – gas yourselves trying to get back in and then, you know, slowly fade away. I mean, Ed Croswell hit a three at the end, which was pretty cool, but that that one was uh, another tough pill to swallow. Yeah, and it's a fate. If you had said coming into that game that Providence is going to lose at home to Xavier by five points, I think that's something you can accept as a Providence mm-hmm. fan. It stinks, but it happened last year with that, that Villanova game, and it's like, you know what, sometimes that happens it's really hard to be perfect at home. Like it's, yeah, it's all of these teams in the big East are good. I don't care that Xavier doesn't have Zach Freeman. So it's a really good team. And you know what? Sometimes a team isn't a great matchup for you. Sometimes it's not that you're, sometimes not that the players are doing anything wrong. Sometimes a team is just better matched for what's going on out there. They get your number on a certain night and you lose a close game. Uh, but the fact that that was a five point game does not at all tell the story of, really what happened <laughs> and I, I know 
and I, I, I would go as far as saying that not having Zach Fremantle actually benefits Xavier on the defensive end with respect to, uh, you know, guarding Bryce Hopkins. But it, Ed Cooley said it best. No one, no, neither team played defense in that game. Xavier dropped 94 points on us at home. I mean, that's really where the, you know, the salt in the wound comes. Like, I, I agree, Matt. You know, you can swallow a five-point loss at home to a ranked opponent that is a tough matchup for you any day of the week. Sure, it stings in the moment, but you know it's not—it's not a bad loss to an, a, a sub, an inferior opponent, which we can, which is a little appetizer for the next game. But it's not—it's not a bad, a resume bruising loss. Doing it to the to the tune of drop losing ninety four points at home and you know getting thoroughly curb stomped in the first half—that's where the you know the color starts to splash in here a little bit, and that's where the picture starts to form. And you know, I think. It just this is kind of a microcosm of the past month is, you know, these final two games here. It started with Xavier continued into Seton Hall. And I think it's I don't know. I actually don't know what to think because I can't tell you what's going on on the other side of that court on the other side of the locker room walls. Yeah. And that's the thing. We don't know what's going on in there. So all we could do is speculate. And I'm just not going to do that. No, that's yeah. not what we're about here. But the team was not ready at the tip for what Xavier was going to bring. And that's not the first time that's happened this season either, where they come out of the gate cold. It was a theme in non-conference, in particular, those TCU and Miami games, I think, are the ones that stand out on that front. And points during conference play, but I think a lot of those were games without Jared Bynum, and it's easy to say, hey, they're missing a starter, and there's just only so much they can do. This is your you're at full go here. It happened against St. John's. Happened. It didn't really happen against UConn. I thought they actually came out with a lot of energy immediately. It just faded. Yeah. But this one, the building was rocking. It's a Wednesday night. It's big TV. Like there's no there's no excuse to not be ready. And I'm not sure what what happened there. They could not buy a shot early in this one. Too many turnovers early. The offense didn't know what it was doing. And then, obviously, the defensive end. But it's, Xavier's one of those teams with the way they match up with Providence. Jared Bynum and Noah Locke offer a lot of upside on offense. Defensively, they're limited because of their size. They always will be. It doesn't matter what scheme you use or anything like that. There's going to be limitations there schematically. So you have to accept the fact that, hey, the defense isn't going to be fantastic with them out there. And you have to match up Devin Carter and do all this stuff. So if that's going to be the case, you have to get some crazy production on offense to match. And 62 points from Boom and, and Colby Jones. And I don't know exactly what Bynum and Locke put together, but I can tell you it wasn't close. Yeah, very well said, Matt. I think it just year over year, Xavier is always a tough draw for the Friars. And I think that's why you get these blockbuster games is because we'll – overperformed to kind of match the expectations. But uh, what you said about, you know, Bynum and Locke, and this isn't a knock on them. I mean, they're just physically smaller than most of Xavier's guards. It's just, it's just a fact. It's the nature of reality. And I think if you look at last year's team, you know, we could compete a little bit differently against Xavier because we started a taller and girthier lineup one through five, you know, this year we're kind of smaller in the backcourt and we're even smaller in the front court too. We lost Nate Watson. We lost Noah Horkler, but you make up with it. You make it up with savviness and a little bit of, uh, you know, finesse around the rim with Croswell. So there's definitely differences in Providence and Xavier physically. And I think that caught up with us uh, at the dunk. But I think when you look at the transition from defense to offense, when the shots aren't falling on offense, 
there's kind of a hang your head mentality when you get back on defense. And I always say this great defense leads to better offense. If you're playing bad defense and you're giving up points, you're going to be struggled and disgruntled on offense and you're going to force shots. You're not going to get look good looks. You're going to try and, you know, you're going to try and rush to try and get to the rim too quickly. You're going to put up a bad contested three. And I think over time that just builds up, especially when you're losing in the fashion that you were at home in front of a sold out building that has been claimed as, you know, the toughest place to play where ranked opponents come to die X, Y, and Z. I think all factors considered is what produced the outcome on Wednesday night. Yeah. Yeah. And I think another factor in this too, and this is something I think we touched on before the game and I've written about a little bit like this building at this time of year has been a haunted place for Xavier in recent memory. And they were not just going to roll over and die. I don't care if this team was, if it was 0-18 in Big E's play coming into this one, this one was going to mean a little bit extra to them based on what has happened between these teams recently, especially late in the year, especially with what Xavier has done late in the year too. Like it was always going to be a motivated, very angry Xavier team that came out in this one. And that's part of the reason why it wouldn't like, Providence losing wouldn't bother me on that front because the fact, hey, they're going to get up for that. And yeah. sometimes it happens. Yeah, and if this if this game went down like the Villanova game did last year, I don't think you're too upset. And that was a game where an opposing offense came in and caused some scheme issues and beat you down all day long and yeah. scored a ton. And that happened sometimes, and Providence answered, and the game was basically played in a six-point window for the entirety of it. I think mm-hmm. 30 minutes of the game were played with it being two possessions or less. I did a whole breakdown on that last year. And yet the Friars never felt in control. And that was not the case in this one. Friars dug themselves a massive hole immediately and battled back. I mean, that's the thing. We could talk about emotional toughness with this team, especially with the Saturday performance. But the one thing I think that's been consistent with this team, the Creighton loss, the Marquette loss, even the St. John's loss, games where, hey, you get down, you battle back and make it close and give yourself a shot late. And you can kind of overlook the UConn one because sometimes that just doesn't happen. And let's face it, UConn's a really good, talented, physical team. And sometimes it just wears you down. Yeah, um, I, I also think with the UConn one, that this is a rivalry renewed. It's, you know, the first time we're playing them since, the Big e- since they rejoined the Big East with fans at Gamble. And also that was a game UConn needed to win because if not, you get swept by Providence. We already beat them by 12 at home. That was a completely different game. But I agree with everything you said, Matt. Like you can't fault the team for their emotional toughness in this savior game, especially, you know, making that run at the end of the first half, climbing back into it, making it a one possession game in the second half. You can't really fault them for that. The way they came out, different story. The way they picked themselves up and, you know, climbed back into the game. Okay, that's, you know, that's fine. You can take that, put it in your pocket, learn from it, and move on. I think it's the way they rebounded on Saturday that is the most shocking and uncharacteristic, uh, you know, not even from the team, of, of the Providence program under Ed Cooley, I think, in his tenure. It's one of the most shocking, you know, hangovers from a loss that I think I've at least ever seen in my time as a Providence fan. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I'm only going to use these words to describe it because we heard Ed Cooley talking about this way of kind of an embarrassing loss. I think that's definitely the most embarrassing home loss in the Ed Cooley era. The only game I could think of, there's there's really like a stretch of three or four of them that compares to it, and that's the 20, 
19 non-conference and heading into the 2019-2020 season yep. where you've got the Penholm loss, you've got the debacle over Thanksgiving out west, and then the blowout against Florida at Barclays. Yeah. But uh, even that, I mean, I think the only individual loss that compares is the Florida one. See, I and would, are you I would say Long Beach State. No, I was going to say 2018 DePaul accepted Students Day. Fair the, the weekend but, before Villanova. But it was a banged up team, and that right you, that, that, you had, had that, that one had an explanation, right? Yeah. Hey, and you know what? I will I will mention this uh, before we get into anything else. Nobody, and I mean nobody remembers the Providence DePaul 2018 game. Right. You know why, Joe? Because they rebounded that with a, an upset win over third-ranked Villanova that punched their ticket into the NCAA tournament. Exactly. So I'll just say this in general for, for this, <laughs> this iteration of the Providence team. Put it simply, you want the team, you want fans to forget what happened on the senior day. You want it to become a, oh, remember when that happened? Yeah. You got to win it. You got to win a couple games this week. That's you want to forget about that? That's what you got to do. That's the most important thing right now, especially, you know, the, 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 the sources that be in the conference have now handed us a beautiful opportunity on a silver platter Thursday afternoon to essentially erase Saturday. Maybe not erase, but no. white out for the time being. Yeah, it's an opportunity in large part because it will be a difficult game for, for Providence. But we'll, we'll preview that in a second here. Let's actually yep. get into the weeds of this Seton Hall game because, man, this is – so it's a full context here. The Seton Hall team that has not been playing very well as of late, um, really, like not, not really at all, and part of that's the competition. They've had some tough games recently, and we've seen them play some good teams well. They played Villanova close. They played UConn close on the road. They've done, they've done both of those in the last month. I think I don't think anybody should have expected Seton Hall to roll over and die in this environment. Not with that coach, not with the amount of experience they have on that team. But the only reason the first game between these two teams was close is because Kaderi Richmond went off and was completely unguardable for Providence. And he was out in this game. And Femi Udicale didn't play in the first one. He was back. Kaderi Richmond's a much better player. And also Trey Jackson was out for Seton Hall. I'm not shocked at all that Seton Hall came out and really wanted to prove something. I think they might have just been surprised at how easy it was from the get-go. I, I was going to say, I, watching Seton Hall, I, I don't think they did anything remarkably spectacular. Like, it wasn't emphatic dunks. It wasn't, like, uncharacteristic. Well, I, you know, I should rephrase that. It was uncharacteristic three-point shooting, but that's because they were getting wide-open looks. Um Seton Hall just played basketball and it was really Providence's defense that made Seton Hall look as spectacular as they did because, you know, guys were left wide open. We weren't switching on ball screens. The gaps were wide open. And I pulled that quote directly from Ed Cooley's postgame press conference because he's right. We were just like the title says, we were sleepwalking through that senior game defensively. And it, it was it, it really was. It's a credit to Seton Hall because they recognized it and they were able to, to capitalize, especially in the paint where they torched us. But, you know, it really falls on us, the, the or Providence rather, it falls on the team defensively. You know, if you let a team like that, a Seton Hall team that's desperate for a win, that has a gritty coach, that has a lot of pride and already lost to this team at home to start uh, conference play, 
if you let them walk all over you defensively, like you're going to lose the game in the way that you did. Yeah, and these are these are the opponents that Seton Hall has scored 80 points against this season. Scored 80 points twice against St. John's, both of those St. John's games. Obviously, this is a St. John's team that likes to play up-tempo. So the fact that you get to 80 points against St. John's doesn't mean that much to me because you're going to play 10 to 15 more possessions against them than you will against anybody else. Yep. Um, they did it against, let's see what I got here, St. Peter's. They did well, it against Wagner, and they did it against Lincoln, Pennsylvania, which is a Division II school. <laughs> And the only other one was without their best offensive player on the road against Providence on senior day on national television. And they, they did it 59 possessions in this game. I think that's a season low for Seton hall. They scored one of their, one of their highest outscoring outputs on their lowest number of possessions. If you go to the advanced metrics, this was far and away the best game offensively that Seton hall played all season. So, Wow. It's maybe, funny. Maybe Canary Richmond's been holding them back. I don't know. <laughs> it's funny you say that. Uh, this was one of the lowest uh, games with, with, with respect with respect to offensive possessions for Seton Hall because Devin Carter, I, I think, once in a post game said that Cooley calls three stops in a row a cherry. Mm-hmm. I don't think they got one cherry the entire game. And yeah. the proof is in the score. The proof is in the metrics here. I, I, I mean, I, I test I test did matches they, did, the match. Did the, match. the defense force three misses in this one? I'm not even sure. <laughs> I don't know. Seton Hall shot they hit two thirds of their shots. That's re- remarkable. Wow. Their their season high coming in was like fifty six percent. They outshot their their season high by like ten percent. This is Seton Hall's like best win of the freaking season. I mean the, oh it is. It, the only other game that comes close is the Rutgers win. From, yeah. a, from a kind of character building perspective, because you go on the road and you hold the team to 43 yeah. points and you win 45 43. Yeah. It's the type of game that's like you're building a program. This is, I don't know. I've seen it. One thing I will say too is like, I think you have to give some amount of credit to Seton Hall for this too. I, I have, I've seen a couple clips of like Jared Bynum getting blamed for going under screens. And I get it, and that's easy to pick out on tape. And I'm not going to pretend to be in the coach's room and know exactly what's right or wrong. But I will tell you, you can go under the screens on just about every single player on the Seton Hall team because these guys are not great shooters. And they all want to get to the basket. That's all they want to do. So protecting that lane is important. And the Providence defense did not do a great job protecting that lane. But Seton Hall was unbelievable from the outside. And honestly, I think the biggest reason for that is Providence's defense made things so easy early. You see the ball going through the net, and the team builds confidence, and now it's a different team because they're playing with a confidence they haven't played with since, what, December? <laughs> yeah. It, no, you're totally right. It's it's a lot easier to, to score when it keeps going in like that. I think of um, the Providence stint against Butler in – 2019 when Providence played Butler at home for senior day. And this was a Providence team that wound up missing the tournament. They played Butler at home for senior day and then got drew Butler in the eight, nine matchup at the big East tournament and scorched them both times. So I think when you're scoring against a lackluster defense and you see the ball go through the net, it is much easier to score in higher volumes. And then the next game in the big East tournament, Providence ran into a brick wall in Villanova that wound 
that wound up winning the Big East tournament that year. So, you know, I think, you know, with respect to Seton Hall, who do they, they have DePaul on Wednesday night, and then they'll have first, first time that Seton Hall and DePaul have ever met in the Big East tournament. How's that? That's an interesting fun fact. Maybe the most interesting part of that matchup, to be honest. That is a very interesting fact. <laughs> they have DePaul if they win that game. I think they get Xavier, correct? The two seed. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. Yes, yes, because they're the seven. Yeah. yeah. I keep getting the Seton Hall Villanova seedings mixed up in my head. Two of them flip flopped the entire season. Yeah. Yeah, so it would be, yeah, they'd get the winner of that gets Xavier, winner of Villanova Georgetown. Uh, so Villanova will get Creighton. If Georgetown <laughs> wins that game, I'm going to die laughing. I, I think that would be poetic justice for Patrick Ewing. Just. You end your career at Georgetown. Your final win is to knock out a bubbly Villanova in the first round of the Big East tournament that ends Villanova's season, you know, effectively. And then you lose to Creighton. I I think that would be a poetic ending for Patrick Ewing. It would be. It would be very funny. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I will say, I think one of the things that I've picked up on too with the the Seton Hall and the Xavier performances for Providence defensively. I really do feel like this is a size issue. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's size and it's communication. And I think one, like Providence looks a little bit slow on defense at some points. And I don't think it's an athleticism issue. I think it's miscommunications. Like they're not, people aren't on the same page when they're switching things. And that's been something that's been an issue since literally the first game. They've had issues with that. I think we saw that at Mohegan Sun a ton. Um, and that's where it's head. So you get guys who can drive to the basket easier because they get that half step on you or that one step on you, which can make the difference. But you also have a, like Colby Jones, a pretty big guy. He's bigger than point guards. So he'll take you to the rim. Sule boom is still decently sized. He's got long arms. He's bigger than the point guard and shooting guard for Providence, whoever's out there. And the Seton Hall team, the reason they've had issues all year is because they don't really outside of Alamir Dawes, I don't have like a guard body type on the roster. All of right. these guys are big and long. And I think they exposed some of those mismatches where they kind of out physical Providence at some points, which is not something this program has been used to. Yeah. I think that's a really good point, Matt. I, I think the, the three game, the four games really that I think of are the four uh, losses that came early in the season. Well, actually the Ryder game wasn't even a loss. So I can't, I, no, that it was felt a, like a loss emotionally, felt like but... a loss emotionally. Um, the Ryder game, which we scraped out a win, we had a lot of trouble on with defensive communication. And I think that translated when we played Miami, St. Louis, and TCU. And then I think we were able to figure it out for stretches of conference play. And now it's catching up with us a little bit again. And I think the point about you know size and physicality is totally well taken. We prefaced this coming into the season that this was going to be a smaller Providence team that was going to look much different than Providence teams of the past. If you look at you know the, the Providence teams that have been successful uh, late in Big East play, I think of last year's team, obviously, which had Reeves, Manaya, Horkler all playing that kind of wing forward with Reeves really as a wing guard role. You, so historically for Cooley, when his teams have success late in the season, there's a guard, there's two or three wings which is a shooting guard a small a small forward and a power forward that are all within 
the same height and weight of each other, but play that a little six, bit five to six seven range. Right. Isaiah Jackson, Rodney Bullock, Alpha, Alpha Diallo. Diallo. Yep. Yep. Those are the guys that come jump to mind in the recent past. And obviously Reeves, even David Duke as a, right. a point guard had that length, which is something I, I don't think you've seen a lot from Providence point guards. I think it's undersized at the one mm-hmm. and then oversized at the two, three, and maybe the four. Right. This team does not have that. You have undersized at the one, two, and three, appropriately sized at the four, undersized at the five. But what this team lacked in that, you know, copy and paste of sizes of Providence past, they made up with with raw talent and, you know, athleticism. I think, you know, Bryce Hopkins is more athletic than Noah Horkler, but, you know, two totally different styles of play. Um, Same with Devin Carter, who is smaller and, you know, probably less physical than Justin Manaya, but is much savvier defensively and pokes the ball away and plays a different style of defense. So you're looking at a different profile of this Providence team here. And I think, you know, the result is, you know, I wouldn't say it's, uh, you know, something that's plagued us the whole season, but it's starting to catch up with us a little bit as we're facing these teams for the second time around. They're trying, they're poking holes in what was, you know, the, this, what was making it work the first time around. Yeah. And I think, there's a couple different ways you can look at this season, but go back to October and listen to what Ed Cooley was saying then and things that he told me when we were at media day. And I think it might be a miracle this team got as many wins as it did during Big East play. I think that was a phenomenal coaching job to put that together and make some of these guys, some of these cogs fit into the machine because like, let's, let's look at the roster with the starting lineup that you put out there. There's no world where that's going to be an excellent defensive unit. It, it can no. be a, a fine one. It can be a defensive unit that can win you games. That unit is going to win with offense. The issue is that – and then you, you you have guys you can come off the bench who can give you that defense. Yeah. So you could put some defensive lineups out there. Alan Breed, Clifton Moore, or the name Floyd. Come to mind. Exactly. Guys you can put out there to play a little bit of defense. The issue that they've run into recently is that – Neither of those units has been good enough at what they were supposed to specialize in to consistently win you these games. That's the thing that gets it's four and five since February 1st started. Let's not forget that that includes a win over Creighton and a 13 point victory over a Villanova team that has been playing very, very, very good basketball. That, that so, win has aged tremendously. It has. And they looked dominant in that game for most of it. Um, so that's the thing. It's not, I don't think it's that this team is bad. And I think it's worrying to see a, a team play this not locked in, in, yeah. in what you see on Saturday, but it is just one game. And what happens on that has no bearing on what happens the next time. If you can yeah. get either the offensive players to play up to the offense we saw earlier in the season, or some of the defensive players to really give you some lockdown minutes on the defensive end of the floor, you can get either one of those. This team can win some more games this year. If you, if you do both of those, this team can win the Big East tournament. So yeah. we're not like season's not over. It stinks the way they've played. And I think some of the Ed Cooley quotes are alarming, but the season's not over. No, I, I totally agree, Matt. This is not a bad Providence team. I think if anything, from a fan expectation level, I think we kind of came into this season with a little bit of a hangover from the sweet 16 team. Our expectations were mixed at best you know, before that tip off against Ryder, this team has overperformed the expectations given yeah. the expectations. And now 
we're kind of seeing a little bit of a lull here now that reality has set in and we're realizing this isn't the same team as last year. This isn't that eight game win streak team. You know, the the pieces are starting to settle and the dust is, is, is settling a little bit too. All that said, it's not a bad team. You know, this is a very good team that deserved to be ranked for the weeks in which it was and deserves to be in the top, the upper echelon of the conference this year. Every, this team has earned everything that it's achieved so far. And I'll stand by that. I agree. And it's the preseason Big East Bowl was that this team would finish fifth. They finished tied for fourth, losing the tiebreaker and putting them into the fifth seat. Uh, This team has, in some ways, become exactly what people expected it to become. And if you believed that it could become that, it's because you believed in Ed Cooley, who I think has done a fantastic job for most of this season. Oh, agreed. You know, here's the thing about college sports. Like, there's no trade deadline. This roster has its issues that can really only be fixed by individuals overperforming, I think, or the right matchups or games or things like that. And there's no – you can't go out there and address it. Sometimes they did a great job in the, in the transfer portal. And they got some really good players to come in, and they got recruits coming in next year, and they got all the stuff. And sometimes there's periods of transition. Like you're not – you're not going to win the Big East every year <laughs> unless you're Villanova. And even Villanova – shared the title in some of those years and didn't win the big East regular season in some of right. those years. So, and this is not a program with the history of Villanova, but it took people forget they spent a while under Jay Wright being basically what Providence has been the last couple of years, this up and down team that's made runs and been all over the place and it takes time. And yeah. the guy, guy's coming in. So I'm not, don't panic because they had two bad games in the first week of March. No, I, I think the, the key takeaways here is, as we discussed at the beginning of the season, this is a year when Ed Cooley earns the Naismith Coach of the Year award. I think he has done that and then some, given yeah. you know all of the roster overhaul from last season and all of the change. I think this is a team that overperformed uh, its expectations. And quite frankly, you know, if we're talking about the the end of conference play here, this is something we prefaced back in October, well, before the season even started. What we said, Matt, you and I. It, We'll find the receipts somewhere that this was a backloaded Big East schedule. And through the first 10 games, Providence went eight and two through the back 10 games. We went five and five and that backloaded schedule, you know, promise at the beginning of the year fulfilled. So I don't think this should come as a surprise. I think because of the way the team performed in the first half, there was an expectation that it was going to continue that in the second half. And sometimes that's just not the way it rolls. You have tougher matchups. Teams see it for the second time in the season. They kind of poke holes in your defensive scheme. And that's the way the ball rolls sometimes. But the the fate is still in our control. You know, Ed Cooley has a plenty of time right now to get these guys in shape for a 230 matchup at MSG on Thursday. Exactly. Yeah. And we'll see if they respond. I think the mo the only the only concern here is really the fact that Ed Cooley has kind of been calling his players out now to the press for two and a half weeks and there hasn't been a response. I'm I'm just gonna read some of the quotes from yeah. after the game. Shout out to Bill Koch, who does an amazing job. Uh, if you don't follow him on Twitter, you should. And he's very good at putting together a thread of all the quotes from a press conference. Uh, Cooley said, this is the worst home loss in my tenure here, and, and that's on him. He says he's going to motivate his men to be better. Quote, I'm going to encourage them and inspire them. So they didn't practice on Thursday. Could be emotional or mental fatigue. Could be could be t- they, they're just tired. But he said, we're not fighting like I know that we can. Basically saying, hey, yeah, it could be that we're tired. Also, being tired isn't an excuse. 
is the gist of that. Like it's that it's that mix of understanding where the players are and also asking them to to be better because they can be better. Uh, so they haven't guarded anybody in two weeks since Connecticut. Our defense is soft, not connected, non-verbal. I think that's something that had not been seen since non-conference play. And I think the 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 transition from the TCU game into the URI game was where we saw that adjustment. A bad loss. So we'll see if they make that adjustment after this. Uh, quote, Seton Hall played an arrogant team today. That's who they played. They played a complacent, arrogant team today. Quote, are we frauds? Who knows? Um, yeah, that's uh, harsh words for his own team, but well-earned. Yeah, I, I think, you know, there's no one that knows those kids better than Ed Cooley right now. He sees them every day. He's their coach. Uh, so I, I think those, I think that those comments are well taken. The complacency, the arrogance, I think, I think that is probably my favorite comp, my favorite comment, because quite frankly, it's the most candid, you know, that is a total peek behind the curtain of how the coach is viewing his own players. And if that's the case, then there needs to be some, some emotional changes with the team. And, Again, we're not going to speculate about what goes on behind the closed doors of the Ruane Fryer Development Center during practice, but whatever it is, it was enough for Ed Cooley to speak to the press and call his own team complacent. So yeah. there's clearly something going on, and you know that's out of our knowledge, but I think that that comment in and of itself speaks volumes to the frustration level that Cooley is feeling, and I think it's echoed in the fan base. Now, the, the positive spin of this here is, I think a lot of times when Cooley challenges his players, they will rise to the occasion. Um, you know, I think I think of Alpha Diallo in his senior year when he got benched after Providence's home loss to Villanova for storming off the court and missing the handshake line. He got benched and then proceeded to have a career night against Seton Hall a, a week and a half later. So there are, you know, the there are the positives and the upsides to being challenged by your coach when you look at sports in general. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see a player or two overperform on Thursday. Uh, I'm not making that prediction now because I don't know who it is. I don't know who he's referencing, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Providence come out hot on Thursday afternoon. Yeah. And I'll be intrigued to see if there are lineup changes. I think that is absolutely a possibility. I don't know if I'm going to predict it, but at this point I wouldn't be shocked if we do see it. Uh, if it happens, I, I think – Bryce Hopkins and Ed Croswell are, are safe there. I think Devin Carter is safe. I think if you get the two guard spots, there's going to be a change. That's where it's going to be if you want to start with some emotion. I'll tell you this much. If what's going on behind closed doors isn't enough of a kick to get guys going, maybe starting two freshmen in the guard spots at MSG in a game like that is the kick that is required. And I mean, I don't know if Jaden Pierre and Corey Floyd are ready for that limelight. I do know that they have played well and both played well against UConn when the team beat them back in January. Uh, I'm going to actually take it a different route. I agree with you, Matt. I'm not going to predict that he does change the starting lineup because I, I think it doesn't matter. I think the amount of playing time someone gets throughout the yeah. tenure of the game is really what makes the difference. If he was to change the starting lineup, I would predict you bump Hopkins up to the three. Devin Carter plays the two. Croswell plays the four Clifton Moore starts at the five and then there's a change at the one spot, whether it be Bynum breed or Pierre, because I think when we saw a lot of success, really the only glimmer of success over the past two and a half weeks was at Georgetown. 
it was with a bigger lineup with Clifton Moore logging time at the five, Croswell at the four. Hopkins wasn't on the floor for that because he was in foul trouble. But, you know, offensively, I think he would be a good spark at the three and Devin Carter. So if if this is a big if, if the, the starting lineup was to change, I think that is the direction he would go in. I think that is also absolutely fair there, which is you are still you're staking off the same two guys. You're right. just you're replacing one of them with a bigger guy. And I think that's part of it. I will I'll side note. I'll go, I'll go back here for a second to the big picture. If we had told you before the season, Hey, that the entire roster is changing and Noah Locke is going to be good, but inconsistent. He's not going to give you the same defensive ability that AJ Reeves did. And Clifton Moore is going to come in and he's not going to give you as many quality defensive minutes as you expected. And Bynum is not going to be as consistent of an offensive threat as a first. I mean, he's not, he wasn't a first team all Big East player this year. He wasn't a second team all Big East player this year. And I think not only was he, he was, he was preseason first team. And not only that, he was kind of obviously preseason first team. There weren't other, the only guard that was up there with him was Posh Alexander, and neither of those guys made it. Right. So it was an open guard competition in the Big East. And he was very clearly not in the conversation pretty quickly. And, if we told you all of that and still told you, hey, this, this is a team that's going to win 13 conference games, I think most people would take that. Because sometimes you pick the guys in the summer and they just aren't quite as good as you think. But that happens sometimes. It's, a, it's an imperfect science. So you, you want to know a comparison that I, I want to make for Jared Bynum? Do you know who the last Providence guard was that received preseason all-conference honors? Mm-hmm. did not receive them at the end of the season and then was on a Providence team that was seated fifth in the Big East tournament. Oh boy. It's not Kyron in 2018, is it? It is Kyron in 2018. Okay. I forget no, so I forget if he was first team or second team preseason, but he did receive preseason conference all team all selection honors, did not yeah. receive anything at the end of the season, maybe honorable mention, but his name was, he was not a first or second team selection end of the season. And that Providence team was seated fifth against Creighton in the 2018 Big East tournament. I'm not going to say anything else that happened because if you, if you really, if you are real, if you're a real Providence fan, you know, or you can just go check ESPN to see. But yeah, well, and here, I mean, here's the thing too there's, there's two Providence teams in the new Big East when it comes to Big East tournament performance that, are, that rise above the rest. That's the 2014 team and the 2018 team. Neither of those teams finished the regular season all that strongly. Both were incredibly inconsistent. Both were a seed somewhere in the middle. I believe that 2014 team was, yeah. And you go back to that 2014 team, that was a group that didn't really play great defense. This is, the, I think, the worst Providence defense since that group, something like that, depending on how you measure it using Ken Palm and all that. But team profile this team and the 2014 team are the two teams that are, hey, they're going to win with offense. They got an undersized guard and they're not going to play the best defense, but they'll do enough to get it done. So just a reminder that like we, there's this assumption that if you're playing hot the first week of March, you're going to be hot the second week of March. And I don't know if there's any statistical evidence whatsoever to back that up. I I think that's, you know, just, (laughs) that's just momentum. I mean, there's really no stat for it, and it's ma- mainly backed by fan passion on Twitter. But th- I think you're right, Matt. That 2018 Providence team, who did they, they had? They snuck past St. John's on senior night at the dunk. I think that was a single 
digit win that they had over St. John's in like the final 30 seconds they pulled away. Before that, they got beat at Xavier and then went into the Big East tournament and made a, a, a historic yeah. run to the championship where you took every single team you played to overtime. Like, and that team had a team had a home loss in February to Seton Hall, but 12 points. Um, and that's talk we talked about the up and downs of that team. Yeah, they went out to Marquette and won. That team beat Georgetown and they lost to DePaul, beat Villanova, lost to Paul, they lost to Seton Hall, beat Georgetown, lost to Xavier, beat St. John's. You don't learn anything from that other than, hey, this team can be good when it puts it all together. Right. And we know that about this Providence team as well. I think the odds of this team coming out on Thursday and kicking ass and winning by 10, 20 points, and the odds of them going out there and just laying an egg, and that's basically kind of feels like it for the season, are roughly equal because we've seen this Providence team do both of those to UConn this season. I think it's unfortunate that UConn seems to have figured it out again, and I think that's an issue for Providence. But you know what? you got to earn the wins. And let's not forget, we saw UConn slump and then figure it out. Right. And this, this happens. And Providence and UConn have like the exact same conference resume too. I don't know if you've looked yeah, at it. They very, very identical. It's the only differences are that UConn lost to St. John's at home. Providence did it on the road and Providence lost to Seton Hall at home. UConn did it on the road. Other than that, all of the losses are the same, plus the split of the season series. The only difference between these teams is who they were in the non-conference, really, for what we've seen in conference play. Don't tell UConn fans that because they're going to hate how equal we are. (laughs) They are going to hate that. Well, and here's the thing. The non-conference does matter, and that's why UConn is seated above Providence. But, hey, this is the Big East tournament, not the the NCAA (laughs) tournament. No, I meant I meant with respect to our Big East <laughs> profiles. Uh, this is you're right. This is the Big East tournament. It's not the what did you do in the PK the PK eighty five tournament tournament like the, what you did then. Sure, it has an impact on what you did now, but you're seated in the Big East tournament based on your on your conference record, and you know it, 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 what you did before December really just means jack shit. So with respect yeah. to Big East tournament seating, so yeah, and we look at this, and it's you know what. For the last time they played, Alex Caravan just stole Bryce Hopkins' lunch money all day <laughs> long. Adama Sinogo was, was all over Ed Croswell all game. I think we saw Andre Jackson really be an X factor for UConn. We saw Jordan Hawkins take <laughs> take Devin Carter's cookies, and UConn wanted it more in that one and asserted its will. All of that is true for what probably just flip the names, and that's what happened in the first meeting. Yep. Both these guys can can give it back and forth to each other, and neither game they played was close. So I don't think we know exactly what's gonna happen what's gonna go down Thursday afternoon. If I had to guess, I'm gonna say third time is the charm, and this is where we're gonna get the the slug fest where you, you're trading blows between the two teams. If I had yes. to guess. Yeah. And hey, this is uh, we're gonna get the awards on Wednesday. I don't know who's gonna win defensive player of the year. Uh, with what we saw over the last week, the two front runners are Devin Carter and Ryan Kalkbrenner, and I think it's hard to, yeah. to pick either of them after what happened this week. But I'll tell you <laughs> this. Jordan, Jordan Hawkins, man, there's – like it's, it's, a, it's easier than you would think to argue that he should be like Big East player of the year. Like in a world where UConn wins the Big East, Jordan Hawkins is probably Big, Big East player, player of the year. year. He's going to the NBA. 
he is amazing on offense. Devin Carter's going to have his hands full. He did in the first one. I actually thought Devin Carter played pretty well when they played I, at UConn. I thought he so, just, too. I thought he got let down by his teammates a little bit, and UConn runs everything through Jordan Hawkins, too. I don't know. I don't know how many NBA fans also listen to this, but for anybody who is, when you watch Golden State play offense, it's just Steph Curry running everywhere and people setting screens, and they're going to make you chase him for 20 seconds at a time. That's UConn's offense. Like half the time he's out there and he's good enough to get it done and he's got the stamina. So that's that's the matchup I'm watching. Devin Carter's going to have to stay with him in this track meet and actually make an impact. And you know what? I'm glad you brought up Devin Carter because I think if you take a look at the past four weeks too, he has been very consistent and – I kind of I feel badly for him because a lot of the criticism is pointed at the team collectively, and it is a team sport. So you win as a team, you lose as a team. But Devin Carter, he's the type of player that is the first one in the gym, last one out, and just gives it all each and every night. So I feel badly because he has been producing consistently over the past two weeks. So uh, it should be interesting to see how he rebounds with the with the with respect to the rest of the team on Thursday. Yep. I, I am 100, 100% agreed. I think he is going to be huge. I'm also going to look at um, one guy. I mean, I just – Corey Floyd, to me, is such an X factor for this game. He was so good in the first one. Um, and I was without Bono. One thing I find really interesting, two of, the, the two of the team's best games this year have been without Jared Bonham and without Bryce Hopkins, respectively. I do think that's where – well, Providence hasn't always come out strong. They always do respond to adversity with maybe this Saturday being the lone exception all season. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Like it's Jerry Bottom went out and other guys stepped up in ways that I think they responded emotionally. I think Corey Floyd could be a huge part of this game if he brings that A game. Defensively, he was fantastic in the first matchup against UConn. And I think his performance was highlighted by that monstrous three going into halftime. But on the defensive end, I think he was the unsung hero uh, in the first matchup. The second matchup, he didn't get as, as much run. Um, and I also I don't think that was the best environment for it either. The second he was in, the entire arena was filled with booze because everyone knows he was from UConn before he came to Providence. But I think you're right. Corey Floyd is someone who, if it's not on Thursday against UConn, it should be over Providence's at, at the very bare minimum next two guaranteed games, Corey Floyd should get more minutes. Yeah. And I, what I'll say is in that first meeting, um, Providence was most efficient on offense when Corey Floyd was in there. 2.28 points per minute when Corey Floyd was on the floor in that one. Yep. And it was, it was one of their best defensive, uh, one of the best defenders. Alan Breed was up. Noah Locke actually was credited with playing – pretty good pretty good defense in that one but i think a lot i mean he played most of that game and that's yeah and i also i like what you brought up about the the lineup you could see with the double bigs because it gets devin carter to that two where i think he fits which is important but i think i don't know i mean do you consider a lineup that's like Corey floyd noah lock devin carter price hopkins ed croswell i think i think that's one that worked pretty well the first time these two teams met if you are to go with that lineup, you're going to have to run a point forward offense where you're having Devin Carter or Bryce Hopkins play the point guard role. I don't know mm-hmm. if I trust Corey Floyd to do it. I certainly don't trust Noah Locke to do it. You need one of the sophomores to really take the reins of the offense there. And this is where mm-hmm. I think Jared Bynum does become super invaluable to this team is because 
you can put Alan Breed in, but he's really a true combo guard. And mm-hmm. all the credit in, to the world to him because he's filled backup point guard roles for basically the entirety of his time at Providence. But with that said, he's not as good at running the half court as Jared Bynum is. Same with Jaden Pierre, who is still a freshman. So you can't fault him for that either. I don't know how much I would trust Corey Floyd in that in that spot, especially because he's not he doesn't even play that combo guard role under Cooley. He's a true shooting guard. Um, but you know we've seen Hopkins take the ball up. We've seen Carter take the ball up. We haven't necessarily seen too much of them running the half court offense, which I think would be interesting. A lot of the times when they do bring the ball up, it's in transition. So take with that yeah. take that with a grain of salt. But if we were to run a lineup on the floor like that, you know, just be. Be be patient with the offense because it it might not flow as smoothly as it does when uh, Jared's on the floor. Yeah. Do you want to know which lineup was the most efficient in the first meeting? The, the best five man grouping. This is going to be real interesting for you. Can I guess uh, it first? One. Um, you can. I'll just give a little bit of background here. There were two two different lineups that, that were plus five on the floor in the first meeting. One of them didn't play very much. One of them only played. Two minutes and thirty-seven seconds. That was a group that kind of got kind of put a run together. The other one did it for over four minutes and played a lot better in that stretch. And this was it was the most played lineup outside of the the starters and then the starters with Breed instead of Bynum. Okay. So it was it's not the starters plus Breed out replaced with Bynum. Nope. So I'm gonna guess Croswell. Nope, already wrong. Damn it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Clifton Moore? Yes, Clifton Moore is one of the five. Bryce Hopkins? Yep, two of them. Devin Carter? Nope. Okay, so I think I have it. Clifton Moore, Bryce Hopkins, Noah Locke, Alan Breed, and Corey Floyd. Yeah, ding, ding, ding. Wow. That is it right there. Yeah, interesting. really, really interesting to look back at that, and that's – I think one of the things that I had kind of touched on earlier and we've talked about is how do you get offense and defense on the floor at the same time? Well, let me tell you, with Alan Breed and Clifton Moore out there, that gives you a ton – and Corey Floyd, that gives you a ton of defense, and you're relying on Hopkins and on Noah Locke for the offense, and those are two guys who can be fine on defense. Not worried, not really worried about effort on defense for those guys, and they can both play enough that, okay – now they can be the, the third guard and the second big defensively, and you, they can get covered and protected a little bit. And I don't think you want to go to that lineup for extended periods of time. You're obviously going to be squishing up who's on the floor, but that's one that was effective in the first meeting. Interesting. I think the Allen Breed dynamic is, is interesting. I'm looking at the stats right now. He only shoots a hair shy short of Jared Bynum from the field, from the stripe and from three point land. And that's while playing, you know, almost 10 minutes less per game. than him. I think that's an interesting dynamic there because if, you know, we are going to sacrifice offense for defense here and take into consideration that, you know, breed will run the half court, like breed can score. It's not, and he can score it at a very similar clip to Bynum. So we're not sacrificing too much with respect to scoring. And it's, if we're talking about kind of the offense-defense switch, what Bree gives you on offense is basically what like Noah Locke gives you on defense. He's never going to be the focal point, but he right. can do just enough as long as he's kind of your fourth or fifth best guy out there. Right. 
And Alan Breed is the, is the type of guy that, you know, Cooley will sing his praises in the in press conferences and to the media about how good defensively he is and how he's a Swiss Army knife and all of these other things. So I think he's someone who certainly deserves some more run, especially in these mental lapses that we've seen over the past month. You know, if, you know, worst case scenario, we see another one of those unfold at MSG. Breed should be the first man off the bench. Yeah, yeah and I agree. And I think. Also having both Breed and Corey Floyd out there, I think gives you two very similar guards. Devin Carter's good on defense, but I think he plays defense in a different way than the two of those two. Both of those guys are a little bit more fundamental. Carter takes more risks. Right. And Floyd and Breed are very switchable, which I think helps you a ton when you're dealing with a guy like Jordan Hawkins yep. because you're going to have a guy that's running around and you're setting picks for him like crazy. Being able to switch on some of those screens and give him less space on the outside helps it so completely different side note but you, do you know what i just thought of is back i keep referencing this 2018 run in the tournament um do you know that the the two guys that were really impactful in the creighton game and the xavier game hey man malik white makai ashton langford and oh, yeah. nate watson who were both freshmen at the time yeah was malik white on that team he was on that team yeah I think didn't he give some good minutes too he, he defensively? Did give, he did give good defensive minutes, and Drew Edwards off the bench was fantastic on Jalen Brunson in the second Damn. half of the championship game against Villanova. So yeah, it, it, this isn't uncommon where you know we'll get to the Big East tournament and Cooley will look to his bench guys to give you meaningful minutes. I mean, Drew Edwards was the lowest of role players on that year's team. And he logged a ton of minutes in the second half just because of he was expendable for fouls and he was playing great defense. Yeah. And I think it's also important, you know, Jalen Lindsay was basically a non-factor for that 2018 Big East tournament because he was dealing with a kind of a hang lingering and lingering effects of a concussion at that point, playing through it and giving good defense and some rebounding, but his shooting just wasn't there. And that's, I don't know. I mean, I look at it. It's, this is kind of a tough situation for Ed Cooley in that I think some of the groups, his groups of players that play the best together don't always include the best players on the floor. Right. No. You don't want to take Devin Carter or Bryce Hopkins or Ed Croswell off, but sometimes the guys play better when they're not out there. And it's not a slight to individuals. It's a team sport, not an individual thing. Bryce Hopkins earned his un- unanimous Big East first team selector, one of only two guys. And I think the other guy there is going to be the Big East player of the year. Right. He's earned that. He's played phenomenally. Also, when he's not out there, I think we've seen other guys step up. And I'm not going to really single him out. I think it's more of a lack no. of size for Ed Croswell and Devin Carter's occasional inefficiencies on offense where we've seen, hey, we can we can shake things up a little bit. But sometimes it, this isn't about your best. Sometimes it's about your best five. Sometimes it's about your best seven. Sometimes it's about your best player. And I think – they're back to figuring out all, all two of the three. I think they know their best player. Yeah, no, I, you're you're totally right. I mean, we've seen – we saw Cooley go through that 2019-2020 season for stretches without Alpha Diallo on the floor because it just wasn't working at the time. Or, yeah. you know, without David Duke on the floor and he was the second highest scorer. You know, it just – it's kind of a feel thing when you get into the, the heat of the games. I remember David Duke and A.J. Reeves' freshman year 2018-2019 – the lineup that took us to overtime at Creighton was Malik White, Drew Edwards, forget who the three was, but Khalif and and uh, now I'm forgetting. But it, it was the role-playing guys. Yeah. The, the, none of the stud freshmen. Reeves wasn't in. Duke wasn't in. It, it was the role-players. So yeah. 
just yeah, an interesting I, dynamic to keep in mind. And I also think I look at that 2020 team. Remember that win at Villanova, which was a huge turning point for that group. For long stretches in that game, they'd switch to a zone and they would go with the uh, Lawan and Malik guard right. combo with Duke with both Ka- with both Khalif Young and Nate Watson out there or Emmett Holt got some run in that yeah. game when he didn't play much that season. They'd go with a big back line and they, they kind of would play with almost two centers, two point guards, and then either AJ Reeves, David Duke, or Alpha Diallo out there in that middle spot for long stretches of that game. And it worked. So you know what? It's we're past the point, I think, of egos with this team, especially with the last two losses. I don't think anybody is in a point where they can complain about minutes or anything. I think it's about finding the five. They're going to win you a game at Madison Square Garden, and then you go on to the next one. Right. Right now, the, the most important thing for this team, whether it's egos, whether it's lineup, it's, you know, trying to, to steal a win on Thursday and making it to Friday. That's the one of, one of the most difficult yeah. things to do in the Big East tournament is get to Friday, and you have an opportunity to do that on Thursday. And to, yeah. you know, make a little take a little slight of your rival too so yeah and hey there's no path to the big east championship game here that doesn't involve a team that providence hasn't beaten already this season providence beat uconn providence beat marquette providence beat butler and st john's right they they've shown the capacity to beat all of those teams split with all of them so let's oh no not split with all of them they they swept butler i don't think butler is going to be playing on friday but that's all i I, so I, think, I don't think that that it's a bridge. Uh, I don't think we're crossing. I'll defer to Michael DeRosa on any Butler comments, <laughs> but I, I share your sentiment, Matt. I don't think I think we have to. I don't think we have to worry about Butler entering the building on Thursday. But yeah, I, what I do think is I, I'll add another point too. And I had said this to you before we started the show that we're we're talking about what could happen in some of the positives. There's a situation here where the Providence team that we saw this past week is the same one that we see on Thursday. And the team loses. And it's the same one that we see in the first round of the NCAA tournament, and the team loses. And would you guys like to hear about a team that got really hot in Big East play last year and then kind of stumbled down the finish line, lost in the 5 4 game of the Big East tournament, and then got booted out of the NCAA tournament so fast people don't even remember they made it? Yeah, that's this year's Big East champion in Marquette. It's the transfer era. Ed Cooley is a fantastic coach. The end of the season, it may end up being frustrating, but a lot can change in the couple of months after the season. I don't, we have no idea what the roster is going to look like next year. And I think it's still too early to talk about what it's going to look like. We'll see what happens over the next two plus games. But it's, we've, don't let the way a season ends ruin some of the high moments that have happened this season. Oh, seasons don't end with a trophy. That's no. the, that's the way things are in sports. This is tough. Winning is hard. So, it's a lot of good moments this season. I think I think this is a group that can savor them, regardless of what happens over the next couple of games. You see what happens, and you move on to the summer. I know. I I think last season was the first season since 2014 that the Friars ended the year with a trophy. I I think we need a little bit of perspective here too. And it was a very long time coming um, for Providence. For- Good. No, just 13 wins is the second right, most like all time in school history in the Big East. Yeah, I know they played more games this year. 13 this year, 14 last season, and 12 back in 2020. If the Friars had this season without that 2020 season having happened, it would have been the like it's 
that would have. Oh my god, it's this one of the best, still one of the best Big East seasons this team has ever had. Right. So it's there's a lot of recency bias going into a lot of the takes that are circling the the fandom right now, which is you know it's fair. It's just a part of life. John Fanta put out a tweet earlier. If you haven't read it yet, I, I think you know it's a gut check. Like Providence is making the NCAA tournament. It really sucks that we lost back-to-back games at home, especially in the way in which we've lost them. But you know, don't don't walk out the door on the team because of a bad couple of weeks. I mean, it's really a quarter of the season if you look at it holistically, or less than a quarter of a season if you look at it from the the top. So. Don't bail on them now because when they walk into MSG with a chip on their shoulder Thursday, you're going to be mad you missed the bus. Yeah. Here's a question for you, Joe. What's their record on Thursday afternoon? Zero and zero. That's right. Nothing matters. It's the postseason. Throw out the stats. Right. It's, it's, listen, you UConn is begging for this game. Begging for it. No escalators has been begging for this for weeks. <laughs> And all also, why, why with, not? <laughs> with what Ed Cooley said after the last meeting, you know that UConn fans are salivating for this one. The, the spoiled fan comment, which, by the way, I think got totally taken the wrong way. I think Ed Cooley was was protecting his colleague Dan Hurley there and saying, "Hey, don't come after this guy because you had a bad month." Like, you look look at the context here, right? Um, and it just didn't get taken that way. Well, you can't expect UConn fans to take things, you know. We all we all know a team is incredibly rational in the moments after a game. Every fan base, the first fifteen minutes after a game, that's when fans are the most rational. That's what right. I've always said. Uh, uh, but he he also said it'll be very different the next time these teams play. And I, what I will say is this: I think it's fair to judge by that standard here. And I, if Providence, I think so too. If, if Providence gets if Providence gets beaten by 40 points, Providence gets beaten by 40 points. If that happens, it should be because UConn came in and shot the lights out or did something incredible. Providence should not get beaten on the glass again. No, It just shouldn't happen with how these teams are. That's an effort thing. That's an energy thing. That's a, that's a want more thing. And, uh, Probably, that's why. Like, it doesn't. The margin doesn't matter. What, what I care about is what this team does around what it has done all season. Live right. up to that standard. I, I totally agree. Cooley said this in the most recent press conference too. It's like there's a want and a will that just wasn't present the past couple of games. I think as long as you see that, I feel a little more confident going into the, into the postseason beyond MSG, whether it's a win or whether it's a loss. You just need, you need the emotional changes here. If you lose, fine, it sucks, and you're going to have to deal with shit on Twitter from UConn. But at the end of the day, like if the team is showing – energy enthusiasm want will and heart like you can't fault them for that like no go down fighting i'm also and i want to remind people of this we would say that this was the most embarrassing loss there is another loss there's two losses that we have also basically entirely forgotten about in this conversation there's the loss at marquette that providence had last season yeah which People don't really talk about it anymore. You know what other loss people never talk about? Providence has lost to Creighton in the Big East tournament. Why they won the regular season thing and then they won NCAA tournament games. Yeah. I, I, it's that was re- a, like 
And that was a really good Providence team and a Creighton team that came in and played its best basketball all of a sudden. And Creighton was not, Creighton did not end the regular season playing its best basketball. There's this narrative out there that Creighton got like hot at the end of the season. Creighton basically just got hot in the Big East tournament. Right. Also, mind you, Creighton came to Providence, got their teeth kicked in on our senior night, and then returned the favor at Madison Square Garden. Like, they're, they're, the more and more we're talking about this, the more and more I'm realizing in real time that teams don't go into the tournament and have success that have hot ends to the regular season. I think, you know, good, good teams win tournaments, right, <laughs> regardless like, of the la- whatever the last game they played was right. Like wh- whatever happened yesterday, whatever, whatever final scores happened yesterday means absolutely nothing with respect to Thursday, like zero, because guess what? Yep. All teams are playing away from home unless you're St. John's New York's team, even though they live with the Yankees Gen- and the Mets genuinely, and the I think UConn and Providence both have more claim to Madison Square Garden being their home at this point than St. John's with recent recent just fans showing up there. And that's a lot with, you know, we lost them at MSG, but it, it, it was 60% Providence fans anyway. Yeah. You know, like, and Villanova as well. The, all these fan bases show up more than, yeah. St. John's is, is a program in shambles, but that's it. That, and and St. John's, can we, I just want to talk about this for a second. Um, and we're going to be. I would, I will shout out this because Sunday night, I'm going to be talking about this tomorrow night. Also on the words <laughs> of the garden podcast, definitely go check that out. If you want biggie stock, did you see the St. John's Marquette ending? No, I didn't. I was in the car. Did you hear what happened? No, fill me in. Marquette led by 10, with like 30 seconds left and put in the wall. Oh, wait. And, Saint, and then St. John's cut it. To St. Two, John's right? hit, a, hit a three and then uh, stole it on the inbounds back pass. David Jones ripped it out of somebody's hands as he was spinning and falling out of bounds, threw up a three in the corner, and it went in. Marquette, I think, hit one or two free throws or both free throws or whatever. St. John's comes back down. I think it was Edowusu. Throws up the three-pointer, banks it in as he's getting a hit, hits the free throw, cuts it to two-point game. Marquette misses both free throws, and then St. John's comes down and gets fouled on the shot. Hits the first free throw, misses the second, and that was in like three seconds left. So St. John's loses, but like that's which we, we, we talk about the Big East is this oh like and I know there's going to be this perception from UConn fans, Providence fans, and people outside of the fan bases that oh well look what happened when UConn and Providence played the last time, and look how good UConn's been, and look how good Providence has been. Like we know what's going to happen here. We don't have a clue what's going to happen here. We don't even know what what's going to happen when St. John's plays Marquette, Marquette's last home game. Like that's the last game. Like we can't emphasize this enough. The last game a team played has very little to do with what the next game is going to look like, unless you unless your team is so good that you are remarkably consistent. But that, right. That's about it. Keep in mind, this is the same conference tournament that just yielded a Georgetown, a Georgetown <laughs> Patrick Ewing led championship two, two seasons ago. ago. Yeah. In the same season that eleven seeded DePaul made it to Thursday of the Big East, like. Just and, and, I, and we laugh at the idea of Butler making it to Friday, but let's not forget that Butler beat St. John's this year, and Butler right. almost beat Marquette at Marquette on National Marquette Day. Let's also so, Butler beat Xavier. Butler beat Villanova. Uh, DePaul beat Xavier. DePaul beat Villanova. Like people, people, the, the recency bias that leads yeah. into into Madison Square Garden is really, 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 you know, wrong. It's just wrong because so much can happen yeah and if if providence loses this game on thursday 
unless they come out emotionally unengaged, it's not going to be because they got cold. It's that UConn's a very good basketball team that's hard to beat. There's this narrative thing around it, but like it's Villanova didn't get like hot entering the Big East tournament all those years they won it. They were just a good team right. that played basketball very consistently and won games and didn't really have a whole lot of off nights because they were consistent. There's not a lot of teams in the Big East this year that don't have a lot of off nights. Marquette, and I'm not going to disparage them for it because it's part of the game, Marquette got lucky at long stretches of the season. They, they played Providence without Byam. They played Creighton without Ryan Kalkbrenner in right. the first like, one. They played Xavier without Zach Fremantle. They won some of those games by very close margins. They, they barely beat Butler at home. They barely beat St. John's at home after that late run. Marquette's an excellent Big East team and deserving of the Big East championship. And also, despite the record, not infallible. Yeah, this, this Marquette team is last year's Providence team. I guess that does that mean that it's a team that is going to barely squeak out a win over Butler and then get killed by the four or five seed in the next game? If it might also mean a sweet 16 berth, so we'll see. Yeah, I'm sure they would love that out in Milwaukee. We're going, we're going long here. We're usually like 30, 40 minutes on these episodes. Yeah, we're we're an, an hour and 10. But you know what? This is this is what happens when you you drop back-to-back home games before a little, <laughs> the Big yeah. East tournament. You need... A little Providence basketball therapy right here. Yeah, this, is, this it, isn't a podcast. It, this is a therapy session. The, the end lesson here is this. It usually isn't quite as good or quite as bad as you think it is. And, well, Saturday sucked. We're going to take a step back. We'll see what happens on Thursday and go from there. Don't, I mean, don't don't do or say anything dumb in the meantime. Like it's not like let's not overreact to one game. It's one basketball game from a team that's played good basketball for two thirds of the season. Yeah, <laughs> it's it is what it is at this point. I mean, our our destiny is still controlled by us, and by us I mean the players that I have absolutely no relation to, <laughs> other than talking about them at. The, the people I formed a parasocial relationship with through a TV screen. Yeah, Providence controls its own destiny <laughs> is the moral of the story here. You know, all eleven teams do. Yeah. Records zero and zero. Throw it out. We'll we'll, we'll cast the die. See what happens. Yeah. I think we'll talk about one last thing here before we go. Bryce Hopkins, unanimous first team selection. One of two. The last time Providence had a first team Big East selection. Ben Bentel and Chris Dunn back in 2016. Whole lot of second teamers in that span. Whole lot of second teamers. No first teamers. So big stuff there. And I think something uh, that has kind of gotten forgotten a little bit, but should be celebrated because Bryce Hopkins has had a tremendous year. He really has. I think, you know, he kind of trailed off at the end of the season here, but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't discredit the body of work that he's put in since November. I mean, he still leads the team in scoring and rebounds. So it's just, he's one of the leaders in the conference with both. He is just, he has been a fantastic addition to the roster. I hope he stays next season. I think, I think that he will, but I wouldn't be surprised if he tests the waters in the off season. Yeah. And you want to hear something that I think is incredible here for the season. Bryce Hopkins averaged 16.1 points per game in conference play, 16.7. Scored more in Big East play against tougher opponents yeah. because he he grew as the season went along, and that's that's one last note on this team. Bryce Hopkins hasn't been perfect, especially over the last couple of weeks. He's a young player, and sometimes the guys hit a little bit of a wall. He's effectively a freshman I was right say now, that. 
and sometimes guys just hit a wall where they they reach what they can do that year and they need to hit the workshop in the offseason to come back the next year with some new tools a couple new things in the bag and that might be the case here for Bryce Hopkins we'll see obviously but again when it comes to not saying anything dumb or overreacting like He's, he's obviously trying his best out there. I'm not going to say or believe anything otherwise until we get hard proof of it. This guy wants to win. He wants to play basketball. He wants to be in the NBA. He had a couple of bad weeks. Let's see how he responds the next couple of weeks. Let's see how he responds next year because he is already a tremendous player and one of the best in the Big East. That's not according to us. It's according to the guys that coach him. I have to go against him night in, night out in this league. Right. The The, the experts. Yeah, they know a lot more than, than we do. I can tell you all 11 coaches, even Patrick Ewing, know more about basketball than anybody with a Twitter handle that thinks that they do. Yes, yes. And it's, I mean, Bryce Hopkins is fantastic. Now, obviously, what you said is uh, is the case 100% of the time, Joe, unless they disagree with us. That's right. That is then true. we know more. That's the yes. way it works. Yes, <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Hey, you know, if we told you at the beginning of the season, you know, Friars are going to finish tied for fourth in the conference. Bryce Hopkins, unanimous first team. I think we'd all. I'd say. I'll I'd take that. Say that's pretty damn good. Yeah. Especially with the way Ed Cooley was talking before the year. So a little bit it, of perspective. Also, just we're going down wicked rabbit holes here, but the the tone in, in Cooley's voice, the way that he talked about his team going into the season throughout non-conference at the start of Biggie's play and now at the end of Biggie's play, like, wow, what a roller coaster of emotions. It was, this is a young team. You don't know what we're getting. We're still piecing it together. Oh, I think we're finally got it. You know, here we go. This team is tough, connected, defensive. Now they're complacent and arrogant. Like what, a, what, a, just an objective roller coaster of emotions for the coach. Yeah. And I don't think we heard Shaka smart saying those things about Marquette last year. I wasn't as tuned in on Marquette last year. So I can't, I can't no. be sure, but it's a similar roller coaster of not playing great, playing really, really, really well all of a sudden, and then kind of going back to not playing great. And right. what it happens. And he kept a lot of the same guys and had them grow. Most of the guys we're talking about can come back next year. That's a very you good can point. Grow. Yeah. All right. Is that going to be a wrap on this one? Yeah, it's good. I got to go to bed. All right. The schedule ahead. And I don't even know what we're going to do for recording. I'm not going to. If, we're, if you're getting instant reactions to any games this week, that's going to be Joe and maybe Peter. I'll be at the, I'll be, I'll be there covering the whole conference. So it'll be all Joe. But schedule for the week: two thirty, roughly, could be later afternoon, Eastern. FS1, Providence against UConn. Should they win that one, they will play at six thirty, I believe, Friday mm-hmm. night against either Marquette, St. John's, or Butler. The winner of the noon game that'll also be on FS1. Should the team win that, it'll be the championship. 6.30 Eastern on Fox from Madison Square Garden. Joe, you know, it's the. I don't know if you knew this. It's the world's most famous arena. Is it? Pe- people forget about that, why but it the, is. Why doesn't the ACC play there? <laughs> With Syracuse and BC. I don't... Yeah. Do you know who the Big East is sharing New York City with for conference championship week? The A-10? Yeah, they're down in Brooklyn. Yeah, Barclays right, uh, Center. Yeah, a little, little interesting basketball down there. Fun fact, I learned about the A-10 tournament. They uh, they have a day off before the semifinals. I think they play 
Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or maybe Wednesday, Thursday. I forget how the bracket looks. Then Friday is off, and then they play Saturday, Sunday. Well, you know why Friday is off. They want to come see semifinal Friday at the Garden. Many have said that. Sources, John Rothstein. Look, I mean, you can't you can't say it's it's incorrect. <laughs> I we have no proof of that. But yeah, that's the that's the off day for the players to practice a little bit. I wouldn't want the Big East to change it up, but I do think that's a, an interesting format. And I'm curious what it would look like in the Big East tournament if you saw it. If you had Tuesday, Wednesday, and then a stop, and then Friday, Saturday. Interesting. Yeah, like you can't awesome. get. Mm. I, I, w- I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't mess with it. But it's a fun thought experiment. It is a fun thought experiment. I'm sure the coaches and the players would love the extra rest. Yeah, and, and the prep that you get to do. The fact that right. you get to you get to prep for the opponent plus a little extra prep for a team you might see in the championship game. Helps you out a little bit. Of course, we're at a point. Everybody's played everybody twice. So this is the first time that's happened uh, in a long, long time too where everybody's played everybody twice so i think you, they've all done their homework everybody knows what everybody know, you know what you're getting now yeah i don't know how much prep there is to do you just roll the ball out there and play oh man yeah all right that is joe howie i'm matt saying gene i don't know when you're going to be hearing from us next but you will be hearing from us at some point in the future you heard the dates make sure you're tuned into the friars watch watch the whole freaking thing watch the whole big east tournament we all know you're going to be doing it and what's Make sure you have your time scheduled off at work Wednesday and Thursday afternoon if you're not already going to be there. Block that off. Don't get in meetings. Just get the little thing to keep your mouse moving so it looks like you're online and go in the living <laughs> room to watch on your TV. We all know what's going on. Nobody's working this week. March Madness is here. <laughs> Again, Joe Howie, Matt Sanchez. This is The Flex. Thanks for listening, and we'll uh, we'll catch you next time. Go Friars.